do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up and welcome to Ringside. I'm John. And as always, I'm joined by the woman on the road, Danielle Caroli, although you're home now, so maybe that doesn't make sense, but I don't care. What's up? How are you? I'm killing it. Loving life. Had a nice three-day weekend. Well, tomorrow is the continuation of that three-day weekend. So, yeah, it's great. Look at you. Yeah, it's... It was like Saturday was a great day. It was kind of rainy in the morning and then windy, but we had Alice's birthday party for her third birthday that's going to happen later this week. Oh my goodness. I can't believe she's three and I can't wait for her to get that little Nubian dough I'm having dropped off in several days. This like... I'm just going to ignore that and say, yeah, I can't believe that she's three. Uh, well, she she will be three here. But it's it seems like yesterday that on our little baby podcast back in the day, we had a guest on to talk about the arrival of Alice with Tony Thompson. And it was like preparing for baby and farming with baby. And now she's going to be three, dude. Like, first of all, it's crazy to think that she's going to be three. Second of all, it's crazy to think I was podcasting, have been podcasting for three years. Like, yeah, what? This podcast <laughs> is BA. Started BA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it was a good day. And then today was spent fixing uh, fencing for the Bucks and their barn and just doing stuff and getting harassed by bucks all day uh, what about you similar um i have bred all of the does i am planning to breed for this year and most of them have been bred in the last 72 Whatever is 24 plus 72 hours, I induced four that I knew were the ones I needed to induce. And I wanted to make sure that, I mean, I know we've talked about this, but I wanted to make sure that they kind of had the good protocol. We gave them some PG 600 to make sure or, you know, to cross our fingers that they were ovulating multiple eggs for some that needed that little just extra like incentive to make milk next year and not make extra poundage on their bodies. Um, Mm -hmm. And so had those. And then I had two does that came into heat naturally, or at least I'm assuming they were in heat because 
they had discharge when they were on the milking stand. And so one of them, I was going to AI, but she didn't have a really strong heat. So I figured it wasn't worth waste. Like, I wasn't sure what the heck was going on. I did put a speculum in her and she looked like she was in heat, but just wasn't flagging. None of my Nubians were very vocal in their heats. Um, and so decided I was just going to live breeder because I didn't feel like risking a straw on her. And so changed a little, did a game time decision there and, um, bred her live because she wasn't in a great heat. And then I had another one who wasn't in a great heat either, but just figured we'd give it a shot and try it. So they got bred. And then because I was getting all these other does bred for um, like in their protocol bred, I had two more does that I was pretty sure were coming into heat, but really wasn't sure when that heat was. And these other two does were just messing with me. And so I just decided that had the estra made out anyway, my gloves were on. Let me just give them shots. So ended up, I think I bred eight does. I don't necessarily, I'm not confident that all eight of these does that we bred in this lovely short window of time are going to take because like I said, the heats were kind of funky for some of them, but I think the really important ones had good, strong heats. So that is good. We'll see. And then we'll see how much I regret this decision in five months. You know, that's a lot of bread. Hopefully you're not counting your carbs. (laughs) Come on, that was great. And you know it. Oh, it was the best. Hopefully everybody's bread for us as well. I have one dough who... I might have to just end up looting because I haven't seen her in a heat. Although tonight she was actually kind of like interested in the buck rag because I didn't feel like I had enough of bucks for the day. So I didn't feel like dragging a buck up there. So she like kind of paid attention to it, but she wasn't flagging her tail. And, you know, when you're at the base of the tail and you're you're scratching them, you know, usually they flag if they're in heat and she wasn't. So Maybe in the next day or two she'll come in, but it's at this point where I'm like, maybe I'll just let you have April kids, but at the same time, I don't know if I want that. Oh, no, exactly. And that was, I had these grand plans to use some Bucks AI for this one dough, and I just was like, I would rather, in the grand scheme of things, I would rather they get bred and they're all kind of kidding in a relatively short period of time because of just like, yes, it will be insanity for a couple of days, but then everybody will be on the same kind of system and track. And so I was like, I just don't want to play with this one. And I'd rather she get bred and to a buck that I was going to use on her anyway. I've used on her on the past and was really pleased with the kids, but I was just like, I, I don't want to risk it right now. So 
that's why I did what I did. Sounds like a busy day and b- busy 96 was the magic number you were looking for. Hours. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it, it's, it's been a weekend. Yeah, well, you also took a trip today. We won't say to where, but you had a trip today. So you were on the road having fun, gallivanting around. I did not come back with anything new except hopefully baby goats in five months. So I was proud of myself. Well, next time you take a road trip there, I want to go. Okay. It just wasn't in the cards for today. Yeah. Well, right. hopefully next deal. year. Hopefully, I'm, I was going to say hopefully next time, but not this year. Hopefully we're Well, that's why, that's why I was like, next time. I didn't want to jinx it. You know, I'm knocking on my head now for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, fingers crossed. And I'll be panicking for a long time. <laughs> Daniel, there's a crap ton of ad news that we should probably cover for today as it has been a wonderful week at Tulsa, Oklahoma convention for many people, not us because you know, we just adulting. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I guess I'll start off with mentioning who the new EC is. Our president is Dr. Ed Jedlowski. Uh, first vice president is Julie Mathis. Second vice president is Lisa Shepard. Member at large is Trinity Melmanis. Member at large again is Dr. Joan Dean Rao. Uh, and yeah, so we've got some really hardworking people on that AC. Hopefully we can keep everything kind of moving with ADGA. Um, now, I did see on the ADGA Executive Committee that Facebook page that any of you can look at uh, just kind of like the highlights. And the ones that I'm really taking away from this is just finance. Obviously, there's the approved continued suspension of the 50 cent uh, transfer uh, funding to the ADGA Research Foundation. So that's uh, smart. Uh, the approved increasing transfer fee from $7 to $8. Uh, for transfers that are postmarked within 120 days of the sale, and from 850 to 950 for transfers postmarked over 120 days after the sale, and that's effective the first of 2024. Which you know, more fees increasing. Great. They talked about the budget, which we'll have to wait and see what they talked about in the actual notes from the meeting. Linear appraisal. Uh, they are going to start measuring Nigerians again for stature. Um, and I don't think it's not something that's going to be added to the scorecard. It's just going to be marked on their um, appraisal sheet. And then once it's uploaded, it'll be marked on where everybody can look at and see what their height was. So for all those Nigerian people that were worried that them being coded for overheight makes them sound like they're you know gigantic goats congratulations now you have an actual measurement for it and for every goat that's nigerian yes it'll be interesting to see i mean i know you kind of mentioned but there are certain things and part of the reason why 
stature was dropped in the first place is because in our type evaluations, which ultimately, when all is inputted and said and done, get put into the database, and I'm horrible and always forget or always butcher the initials of the database. So the CDCB, which mm-hmm. is the Council on Dairy Cattle Breeding. And so what happens with that is those traits get inputted into a database and then evaluations are calculated on that. And that's how we can get some of our PTIs, PTAs, ETAs, um, and also those ranges and the reliability of everything. But with that, there is only so many data points they can calculate. And so when this was dropped, when stature was dropped, it was because after a lot of research, they had found that the heritability of stature wasn't as consistent as other things, which makes a lot of sense because management can vastly change an animal's stature. Um, If you've raised dairy goats, you kind of, I'm sure, have seen animals you've sold that maybe, unfortunately, don't end up in the right homes. And you have two twin does, and you have one, and they have the other. And that little doe is not living up to her potential because she was not fed properly. Or you have somebody that was pushed and pushed feed-wise, and so is a bigger doe. But anyway, the heritability of that trait was not as readily influenced by the genetics. And so they also decided that there was other things that they wanted to use that spot for. So that's kind of why it got dropped in the first place. And I do understand the idea that it does influence the Nigerians a little bit more. So I get that, but it'll be interesting to see how it kind of gets added in again. Yeah. And just to clarify, the actual wording is approved measurement of animals for height using the zero to 50 linear scale to be published in a format visible to members starting with the 2024 LA season. Also, I wanted to mention uh, linear appraisal, the committee approved or the board approved uh, a virtual linear appraisal refresher session for 2024. Imagine that we don't there's there's the possibility that we don't have to fly out a million people for a refresher and spend crazy money when they can just do it online holy cow this is amazing now i get the benefits for putting your hands on animals as you're taking that refresher but this is a step in the right direction this is a cost saving move and i approve this message <laughs> Like it's just it's awesome. National show long range, uh 2026 national show, June 28th to July 6th. Uh will be at the Eastern States Exposition Um Center, which is in Massachusetts. So that's pretty sweet for us Northeast people. Pretty bad news for those on the West Coast, but nana nana boo boo. 
<laughs> no, it rotates. And right. there are people that make the trip regardless of where it is each year. And it's just moving to the East Coast for 2026. Yeah. And I I just, the reason why I said Nana Nana Boo Boo is because you see all, you know, these posts about, oh, the 2026 National is going to be here. And you see, you know, people that are like, yes. And then you see like, you know, five or six people are like, this is crap. Like, it needs to be out west more. And it's like, dude, first of all, we're lucky that we can find places that can house such a big show anymore. So, yeah, it happens. It'll be in Redmond's, or I don't even know if Redmond's viable anymore. It's going to be in the West Coast soon enough, so don't worry about it. It's in Nebraska in two years. Yeah, and that's going to be, that's Nebraska is going to be a really cool facility to have nationals at. Yeah, I heard it's beautiful. Uh, I don't think we'll be attending that one, at least not with goats, uh, but you never know. Maybe we'll have something just super awesome. Anything else is kind of nothing crazy. NG, I watched the uh, the membership meeting after the board meeting had been done the next day, um, and uh, they were talking about NG and and how there's a roadmap and how they got to follow certain processes to and plans to kind of strike off stuff from the list there's no actual timeline i guess there's a presentation they were saying they were going to get on uh the adga site which once you start talking i'll kind of look it's for that there. but is it there yes okay so we'll put a link to that in the show notes um but yeah so there's a roadmap they're working on things uh they're in testing for bgs animals which is you know the uh the british goat society uh, animals and AGS and all that stuff. They're still in testing. Been hearing that for six months, but hopefully that testing is actually happening and Guernseys and AGS animals can be uploaded and everybody's goats can be registered. I mean, I just got um, reached out to by the person that bought my Guernseys and they were like, hey, uh, so I have a stamp duplicate, but do you know if they're registered with BGS? And I was like, I didn't get anything for that. You'd have to talk to the original breeder. So I gave them the contact information. But I was like, you know, they're still like registrable with ADGA. You just have stamp duplicates for now. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, I want to actually, you know, register and be able to sell kids registered. I'm like, hey, I get it. That's one of the reasons why I got rid of them. So, you know, Godspeed. But yeah, it's just I just. I'm tired of saying, oh, Guernseys are going to be registered soon. Like, come on, let's get with it. No, but I think I briefly glanced at the roadmap and, or, yeah, I think it's called the roadmap. I don't know at yeah. this point. But, uh, um, and it is definitely one of those things that I think should be happening soon or at least starting to be executed soon. So time will tell. I also saw in the notes, um, which it just piqued my interest, uh, was there was an approved correction of the historical record for an error on the report of awards at the 2023 National Show. So apparently somebody signed something that wasn't 100% accurate, so there was an issue. That's kind of what I get out of that. Yeah, I don't know anything about that, so... Yeah, uh, neither do I. But <laughs> I just I read that and I was like, hmm, 
piqued interest, ears perked. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's about it. I would suggest people that want to sign up for committees to go ahead and go on ADGA. They have the form you can fill out an email. I think it's got the directions on there. I have to do that because there's a couple I want to strike off and, and sign back up for and all this good stuff. Uh, so make sure you get those out soon. And yeah, I think I think it was just a really cool convention. We should probably talk about the spotlight sale since you know we spent <laughs> numerous hours talking to people and editing and all that good stuff uh, it'd probably be smart to talk about how much these animals went for right well first of all congratulations to mm-hmm. all the sellers and also the buyers and the spotlight sale or i guess sorry the national sale committee for a successful sale I watched some of it via the live stream, both on Cattle Buyer and the national show live stream, and was really impressed by all of those animals walking across that stage. And uh, yeah, it was exciting to see. Yeah, yeah, I was watching as well. I had to find alternative um, streaming on Facebook just because the one that I was I was watching had a lot of feedback, but I was able to find one that worked, um, which was fine, you know, whatever. But <clears throat> to start off, uh, Tempo Aquila Frozen in Time ET, the Alpine Buck, went for eleven thousand dollars. Pleasant Grove MFM Jesse Cakes went for five thousand. Goat Son Hey Jude went for forty one fifty. Wolfaven. Uh, Wayfaring Stranger went for sixteen thousand three hundred. Uh, we might have to get the story of how uh, the selling and buying went for during that day. Obviously, Tyler crushed it with those gold Crocs, right? It amazing. I was expecting Crocs. I did not realize the extent of the Croc, but absolutely amazing. And <laughs> I want to just point out that. Now, and I am assuming a lot of things here, including the fact that Tyler is going to let that buck be, or mainly the fact that Tyler is going to be the one letting that buck out for stud service of any kind. But I would like to point out to you, John, that you now have a Nigerian dwarf spotlight sale buck very close to you that is gold for next year to breed your experimental doe to not that she could be not that these kids could be registered but at least they would be gold well they could be registered with the mdga uh to uh, have these mini guernseys and sell mini guernseys yeah you're welcome yeah, I, I'm sure I will. I'm not even going to message anything to Tyler. He'll listen. I'm sure I'll get a text message right about now. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Tyler. I'm just I'm just giving him a hard time because the buck is gold. And I just feel like, you know, he has that little <laughs> oh, gold, it would be, you have that gold dough. Yeah. Plus, it would add length of body. Hello. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. Focusing back here. Uh Agape's prize gold Frenchman went for eleven thousand five hundred. Hanson's hideaway Reese's take five 
went for 6200 Springwater SNE Catastrophe went for 3150 Wingwood Farm, I can't believe you were able to say this name uh, during the interview process. Wingwood Farm, uh, Ara D'Artagnan. Era D'Artagnan. Went for 10000 Say it again. Era D'Artagnan. Oh, okay. You did amazing. Good job. $10,000 he went for, so that's awesome. Uh, Urban Acres GG Striptease went for $34.50. And let's see, M. Sagebrush, L.A. Kiss Me Kate went for fifty-two hundred. Old English Remington twenty-six hundred. Old English Remy for thirty-two fifty. And let's see, Kickapoo Valley K.D. Riviera forty-five hundred. Moss Ridge Kales Jamar went for forty-six hundred. And Evie's E.S.S. Fancy Boots. $5,550. So congratulations to everybody. The sale looked awesome. Looked like everybody had a great time. I'm already seeing posts. I saw posts minutes after of people asking where these animals went, probably because they're hoping they were close to home that they could use them uh, or reserve kids from them. So it looked like a great sale. Congratulations to the committee, the breeders, uh, the buyers. Looked awesome. Yes. And then the other thing that happened at convention, which we don't necessarily know results yet, but rumor has it, we have a few new judges out there. And I'm sure there are judges that have renewed or up their level of their judging license. So congratulations to all the new judges out there. And to everyone that participated in the TC as well, because it takes a lot to put yourself in that situation, regardless of whether you get a license or you do not get a license, but it's stressful. It takes a toll. And so just putting yourself in that situation is a lot. So regardless of whether or not you got a license or not, you still deserve like a pat on the back, the back and acknowledgement because it is a lot um, to do. And I look forward to seeing all of these new judges helping out and getting in the ring and judging animals. I agree. Congratulations, everybody. And yeah, I can't wait for next show season to see who's out there judging. Now, Danielle, we should probably get to our quick topic that we have set up for today, and I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to you uh, for the intro of it, since it's your your idea. Yes, well, and also because I don't know if you saw the notes, but Siri and I worked hard on the notes <laughs> for yes. this uh, episode, and I did do a quick perusal, but... I am sure there is. I knew no. At one point, I had a Dell instead of a Doe, and oh, numerous times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think Siri just is, you know, saying hello from the other side or <laughs> whatever it is. So I will take it away because if I butcher something, I'm going to blame Siri, and it's easier for me to blame Siri for my words than it is for you to blame my Siri for the intro. So when we were actually talking a lot with these breeders 
back in that spotlight sale episodes, one of the things we talked about was what makes your herd unique. And so what are the things that you and your breeding program focus on? And what we all kind of talked about is those things that we can find on the scorecard or in the linear appraisal scores, your production data, those kind of things. But at the same time, there's so much more that goes into our breeding programs. And I think it gets to a point where when you're selecting animals to keep in your herd, especially when you're looking at, okay, are these goats staying for the next year? Or am I going to get rid of them? Sometimes it's not about the length or the width of their rump or how much milk the goat actually puts into the pail. But there are these other things that allow our herds to thrive, to be successful and to make us happy. And they're probably not as tangible or qualitative of traits. And I'm saying traits loosely. They are things that probably are more unique from farm to farm, but they are the things that kind of make our herd dynamics unique and the little extras we focus on besides the strength of feet and legs or the ease of emotion of a doe or the amount of pounds she puts in the pail. So I guess when we're starting off on that today, we can kind of start with that confirmation. Are there things that you find in the confirmation of your animals that you wouldn't necessarily find on a scorecard, or maybe the weight of it isn't as heavily presented on the scorecard as it is in your mind for your herd? I think that one thing, and this is on the scorecard, but uh, for me, it's, I really like kind of focus on pastern strength. Mm -hmm. Like that's one of my like just pet peeves. I hate a doe that's got a flat tire. You know what I mean? So that's one thing I focus on. But as far as like something that's relatable to the scorecard, you know, actually, yes. So Oberhasli are known for having shorter ears, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, there's not the biggest focus in the world on it, obviously. I mean, there's some really top end does that have a little bit of that mule ear look where they're just a little bit longer than Oberhasli really should have. I have a lot of animals in my herd that fall under that category that mm -hmm. have a little bit of a what I call a donkey ear, and that's really from my doe gem. Uh, a lot of the stuff that's related to her or even um, a lot of stuff that was that was from BT Hotshot, which was a buck that was used in some of my starting animals. Uh, they've, <laughs> they've got these donkey ears, man. They're longer than I'd like. They're not... You know, they still meet breed standard, but it's just like kind of a like what you like type deal. So I'm trying to breed for a shorter ear and I can't get rid of these dang donkey ears like two, three generations in. Uh, so I brought in some stuff. I'm using some bucks that hopefully will help create that ear that I want. But that's one thing that I've been focusing on. And there's a couple other things that we'll touch on as well. Yeah. Well, what about you? Well, before I kind of go into mine, and this is something that I don't know if we've had, I know we've talked about breed characteristics on the podcast, but mm -hmm. the thing about it is that overall breed characteristics are for a senior doe are five points on the scorecard. 
So, and it's just like everything else, but the scorecard is out of a hundred. And so if you kind of think about it in terms of a percentage, that's 5% of the goat. So that the judge is kind of looking at and the judge is not going, okay, this doe has a three in like, she's awarded three points for head and breed characteristics, but it's just kind of the weight of the conditions and the traits. So there are things that occasionally slide until it becomes a really tight competition between two animals that one animal may have those longer ears. And I think this goes to the weight of the scorecard, but because she is so much better in the feet and legs, which on a senior doe are 15 points or so 15 percent or she has the dairy strength 20 points on a senior doe over this other doe those breed characteristics certainly can kind of take a back seat because when you're weighing everything out those ears that are just a little longer than what your ideal would be wouldn't be something that could potentially play into it as much but when you have let's say you have twin does that are very similar in type Maybe you are looking for something and it is that breed characteristic and the the correct size of the ears or things like that. Plus, I, I like the small ears on Obies, but I got to tell you, I kind of like the derpy gem ears always get me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then there's just so much easier to clip with a 50 blade. Yeah, well, easier for you to clip. With a 50 <laughs> yeah, <blade>. exactly. <laughs> so what about you and your herd? So... I think, and this is kind of another one that it gets mentioned in the scorecard, but is maybe not in the same way I'm thinking about it, but it is those feet. And so obviously, if you look at the scorecard wording, it's strong feet with tight toes pointed directly forward, deep heel with sole nearly uniform in depth from toe to heel. But I also think about it more in that management area as well. Are they level naturally or is this something I'm going to have to really work at with an animal? Is there a wear pattern that they're not walking correctly? Uh, And it's more of that mobility issue. And then that goes into legs and then front end and kind of all these different areas of that scorecard. But are they wearing their feet correctly or are they tilted on them are they easy to clip the feet and keep them nice or are you constantly having to go and really get in the middle of the toes to keep them to have that tight toe and so that is something I had a doe where not that she was on the selling block but she was not necessarily my favorite, but then one time I got her up onto the stand to trim her feet and it had been a bit. And I just looked at her feet and just how nice they were, particularly in regards to, I know she hadn't had her feet clipped in a couple of probably two or three months at that point and how nice they were and how she kept the feet strong. And I just went, this is something that I need to replicate in my herd. And I wish I had on every single doe in my herd. And how do I get that there? And so it's not necessarily something that we focus on in that scorecard, but 
if I could have a whole herd of these does or animals with feet like this, I wouldn't have less animal, less feet. I have like, I would have to trim feet less frequently. I would have animals that just were more structurally sound and just all these different things that just would be so much beneficial in more management things than necessarily the scorecard, but also in regards to the scorecard as well. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great point there. I've had, uh, animals in my herd that you, if you don't touch their hooves every three, four weeks, you're in trouble. And then I've also had animals in my herd that you, you could go by, you could get by with, you know, trimming their hooves five times a year. Right. So, and which ones do you enjoy more? Probably the ones that you only had to trim their feet five times a year and their feet looked beautiful. Uh, the ones that you got to keep clipping, 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 or else you're in trouble. Uh, those are the ones that you hate, and especially if they're on a buck. Oh, yeah. I, I might have one of those that I was like, oh, I got to do your feet, buddy. Crap, I just did them. So uh, that's the way it is sometimes, as long as they don't pass it on to their daughters. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got for me? So then another thing that kind of gets touched on in terms of the scorecard, but not necessarily in the way I want to talk about it now, but the milkability of a doe, how does that play into your kind of stay, go? Are you irritated with this animal? Does What do you consider there when keep, kind of keeping that deciding if a doe should stay in your herd uh you know i never really put too much weight on milkability until i freshened one of my guernseys and it was it took forever to milk this thing i mean forever she had jelly beans for teats for the longest time and it just it, like i dreaded it going up and milking I, and i probably should have just grabbed the machine but I'm just like, I'm only milking probably like four or five does at that time. I'm like, I'm not grabbing the machine for four or five does. So I kind of grinned and bared it. But when it came time to decide that we want to really focus in on our Oberhosley program, so the Guernseys are going to go, I was not sad to say goodbye to this doe. And even if we had decided to stay in Guernseys, she probably would have gone regardless. No, that makes sense. And I know I've talked about it a few times kind of antidotally, but I had a few does for a while that they just were not fun for me to hand milk. And mm -hmm. we had several storms and we lost power several times and I could milk everybody very easily. No big deal pretty much same time period if not quicker to milk these does out by hand and then I would get to these does and it would be just it wasn't fun it wasn't enjoyable and so when looking at numbers and you get frustrated in the barn and some animals have to go and that lack of ease of milking just really kind of was the nail in the coffin for them 
And then the other thing is because I do machine milk and it's gotten better with the inflations we have now and are using, but we used to run into a lot of issues with does who would drop milk a second time and or not let all of their milk down. And so you're either having to go back to the dough and milk her out, which is not necessarily good for the dough, or you're not getting all of the milk that she could produce. And so in terms of supply and demand, are is she diminishing the amount of milk she could potentially produce in the lactation because you're leaving this little bit in her udder each day because it's her second letdown of milk, which I think happens more with a machine than it does when you're hand milking. But there were does that it just, they just had that second letdown. And how do you manage that? Or is that something that you don't want to manage? And that's something you get rid of because you're not getting all that you can from them or you're at more risk of a mastitis issue or Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera on that one. You don't want to do the same job twice, right? You just don't. So no matter what you're doing in life, milking goats, doing your actual job, doing whatever, you don't want to do things more than once. You know, you want to do the job once, do it right, be done with it for that time period. So to go back and having to redo that, like, yeah, that would definitely be on one of my, you know, pet peeve lists for why a doe might stay or go. Another thing to think about is breeding and kidding ease. And obviously there are confirmation factors that may present easier kidding situations, but what kind of weight does that play in your herd or just even the ease of kidding in your herd? What, what weight does that play? It actually holds a lot of weight in our herd. It really does. And not only for me, but for Tierney, because she's the one that assists with kidding. She's got the smaller hands. She knows what she's doing. She's a rock star. So like when when Mary Mac kidded this year, who was a smaller doe, that's just how she was built. She was smaller, smaller frame, but balanced. Um, she she had a really rough kidding. And the first words out of Tierney's mouth, once we got both kids out alive and her out alive, she said, she's got to go. And she was right. And she went for many reasons. But one of the top reasons that she left is because we didn't want to have to deal with those issues with her again. And before I get jumped down, you know, someone jumps down my throat, when I sold her, I emphasized not only on the post... I don't know if it was on the post, but to the, to the buyer numerous times, at least five or six times you need to induce this doe. You need to breed her to a buck that throws something smaller. You don't want to breed her to an Alpine. You don't want to do any of this because she has kidding issues. And yes, her first rushing, she did great. But if she has a single buck or a twin buck, twin bucks next year, it's not going to be fun. So make sure you're inducing blah, blah, blah. And like so many caveats with when we sold her. Um, but it was definitely like, it's up there, man. I don't want a doe that's going to have uh, kidding issues. I, I don't want to have a doe that's has getting bread issues. 
Like you, you can obviously do protocols to try to get them bred, but if it's a constant issue with that doe or that line, I don't want any part of it. And I'm going to say this. I had that same doe was just a nightmare to get bred. She just didn't want to stick. Well, guess what? Her daughter is the same way. So she might go down the road next year just because I don't want to deal with that issue anymore. No, I totally get it. And jumping on that first and that ease of breedability. I have one of the does I was struggling with that I kind of talked about earlier. Her dam, there was a few times I had to loot her dam. So I knew when she was in heat and then it was like, well, the drugs tell me you're in heat at this time. We're going to expose you to the buck. And even though you don't want to stand, I know you're in heat. Like, we're going to try this. And then there was a few times where she had nice manageable heats and it was all fine. But Mm -hmm. I'm wondering now, is this dough because I saw a discharge of it, but she just wasn't in a nice standing heat. And there were several I missed, I think, because she wasn't easy, she wasn't in an easy detectable heat. Like, is this genetic? And is this something I'm gonna have to deal with with this line? And honestly, at this point, I'll deal with it because there's enough about the dough that I like to keep that I want to keep and perpetuate. But it is something to consider that if she wasn't necessarily looking the way she was looking and this is the second doe in a row or I had a bigger herd so management was a little bit more hands-off and I needed to quickly see who was in heat each day she would be gone because unless you're literally going okay are you in heat is there discharge let me give you a shot of estimate so I know you're like or loop so it's timed right it's just sometimes that like that gets crazy, even with my small herd to try and manage it all. It gets a little crazy. Yeah, it's not fun. Like you, you, you don't, it's bad enough that we have to milk these goats twice a day, you know, feed them, make sure they're all good, you know, really clip them down for shows and, and just hold their hands so much where meat goat people might have a little bit more ease with that, throw a buck in a field and, and call it good. But <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's one less thing we need to worry about is making sure these does get bred, first of all, then have bad, you know, kidding experiences afterwards. So if you can manage that and cut your, you know, cut that away from the herd and, and either send it to market or whatever, you know, good. Right. Like that's, that's something that I agree with you on. Like, it's definitely, you want a doe that's breedable and you want to doe the kids with ease. Exactly. All right. Can I, I can I, oh, go ahead. You you can go, go for it. Oh, no, I was going to say the next bullet point just because I mean, I laughed so hard when I read this. Okay, go for it. You, you have on here, temperament, need I say more? What do you expect from your animals when it comes to temperament? I feel like that is everything in a nutshell. But, I mean, I laugh because I had all these does in heat. And I thought I was going to get to the barn. And everybody was going to be screaming their bloody heads off. 
and it was just going to be a circus because I had this group of four do three does coming into heat and then I had four or five does the next day like I just then there was the I there's eight does in this time period and they were all kind of crossing over so I just thought I was going to get to the barn and just hear them with the sounds of their people just screaming their bloody heads off no thank goodness they just decided it's all about being seen and they just were content staring longingly at the buck barn which is probably like 50 feet away so that was a beautiful thing but and I joke because I think my sonin is the most talkative animal in the barn I've come to find that sonins are awfully chatty I think it's just mine because I was at a sonin farm today and they were not like they were not making the noise and granted she's from this sonin farm but I think she's just a chatty one. She just has to uh, No, no. I've talked to Dr. Kurt Schnipke with him in his barn during chore time uh, with his son and screaming for to get milked. And, and it's not just yours. Trust me. Like <laughs> some of them can just be a little bit chatty, but I guess that can go for any breed, right? Yeah. So, but then also temperament. I have a doe that is five seconds from being sold because... She doesn't necessarily get along well with anybody in my herd. And I lost a herd queen years ago when everybody was very pregnant. And the amount of issues as everybody was fighting to kind of figure out who was the next herd queen and where they ranked in the herd, there was a lot of issues in my kidding season in terms of lost kids um different things like that and i think most of it had to do with that fighting and so it's the same when i have this doe who is just not keeping like not happy with the status quo and is almost a bully i don't necessarily know if i want her in my herd and where does she fall mm -hmm. and so things like that that you have to be chill you have to kind of just go with the flow um helps a lot and I also need animals that can do their thing I don't want to hold their hands I don't want them to be nervous I want them to be confident because that makes my life easier they confidently jump right on that stand they confidently strut into the show ring I can get them on the trailer I'm not going oh it's okay it's a leaf crossing your path like no do your thing yeah that you just jogged my memory here with just saying that it's one thing. Well, let me talk with, about temperament and then I'll, then I'll gear back. So with temperament, Oberhasley are amazing. Obviously I will say that my doe gem, I know the moment that that egg has been fertilized because at the grain pin uh, pan, she turns into a witch, which is why I put her in with a bigger doe and two kids who can scurry away from her and and they're fine right so i don't have to worry about her beating up on the dry yearlings that are bred and, and them aborting um she's not going crazy but during feeding time like she lets it know that she's feeding a baby and she's eat, she's eating for two or three uh so as far as like everything else like over are pretty awesome 
pretty quiet. I do have one doe, and this is what I was circling back to, uh, where if I have to grab just her for uh, trimming hooves, uh, you know, clipping her for a show, breeding up, grabbing her to you know have the buck get at her or uh, anything, even putting onto a trailer for a show, you have to go in there and you have to chase her. Like you have to catch her. And that's a huge no-no for me. Like I hate that. I don't want a doe that I have to go in and corner and try to play, you know, juke football moves trying to get her. No, thank you. She's on my list for next year to call. If she doesn't freshen right, she doesn't have the great attitude that I want from her. Like she's still kind of young. She's two. So like she, but she, she's on the list. Like she's definitely on the list to sell and she's an appraised 90 doe. But I just, it just drives me nuts having to chase a freaking doe around for any, any time I have to work her. It's ultimately, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. She may have appraised 90, but that's one part of her and you have to still manage her 365 days of the year. And so you have to make it be an animal that you can work with and you can work with. Well, I mean, there are people who have animals that they have to sell. And I mean, I don't know with you, with your overhousely, with their perfect temperaments, I don't (laughs) necessarily know if it's something you run into, but people with small children, they have animals in their barns where they sell that animal not because he or she is ugly or not producing milk, but because they are aggressive towards the small children. And it is a lot easier to get rid of the goat than get rid of the child. But <laughs> yeah, I've actually sold a doe because one of one of the reasons uh was because she would pin her ears back every time Alice would be walking either in the pen or the doe was out just kind of walking around with the herd or whatever. Um, She would pin her ears back. And there was actually one time that Samson got in between them as she was like about to headbutt her. Um, And the doe was a doe that I could have sat on for another year um, to freshen and, and see how she matured. But honestly, with a couple different strike marks that she had going for her, that was like, honestly like one of the big reasons why she left all right well what about herd health when you're thinking about uh this like where do you where does that fall on the spectrum in terms of what you expect from an animal i really don't want to have to do much i do not want to have to hold their hands and coax them through every year i do not want to have to think about bubble wrap and (laughs) <laughs> I do not want to have to re- I do not want to have to reach for my bottle of antibiotics and I think sometimes that genetics play a part of that and so I try and keep my vet bills as minimal as possible knock on wood um I try and keep my drug use as minimal as possible my no me too (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how i'm supposed to word that better but um, (laughs) i mean you know but medication use for goats medication not for people not for people keep that at minimal i don't want to have to spend that extra time doing those things for my herd so i don't think i've really dealt with it very frequently in my herd but 
I think if there was an animal that is constantly getting sick, that would be an animal that I would say this isn't the right fit for my breeding program. Yeah, constantly getting sick. I I agree. I've I've never had that issue. I would surely get rid of something if that were an issue year in year out. Um, I have almost sold Jem, who is also a ninety doe, numerous times for numerous reasons. But one of them has been that she's a really hard keeper, man. Like I have to pour a lot of feed down her throat just to make sure that she keeps weight on because she milks so hard, and she she really. If she was an actual Oberhosley, she'd probably be on milk test. But being an experimental, like, I just don't care. Uh, but she milks her heart out. She's hard, She's really hard to keep that weight on. Um, and if it was not my heart goat, uh, she probably would have been down the road numerous times. On the flip side of that, I also hate a doe that you give like mediocre second cut or first cut hay to and they're just as large as a house i've got a doe that's been dry for over a month now and she is fat as can be like i like do i just starve her i don't know it's annoying and i mean the other thing kind of on that tangent is what is your can an animal thrive in your feeding program Mm -hmm. we've talked about it a lot Unless we want to pay crazy, crazy prices, it is very hard to get alfalfa by us. We just kind of started looking at the hay for next year for my herd. And I'm going to, I know my second cut, it looks beautiful. I think the goats will love it. But the thing about it is it doesn't have the protein that we've gotten in years past. So I know I'm going to have to supplement it a little more. And so with that, I know, I mean, we're, this is kind of a situation that seems to be happening. You're in, in the East coast and, you know, we'll look into different forages and all different fun stuff, but I also need animals that are going to perform with this type of feed and this feeding program that I am using. I mean, my dry yearlings go in the milker pen when they are seven months, eight months old, and they just get hay. They get because they're getting my milker hay, so it's high quality or higher quality at this point. They need to just thrive on that because I don't want to put the cost of grain into them. And so I need them to be in good condition with what they're getting fed. And I don't want to have to pull out my dry yearlings and feed them grain when they should be able to look good on just hay in my program. That's not to say everybody's program is going to be the same. And I know you feed grain. I know many people feed grain to their yearlings, but my dry yearlings, I know with my genetics, they will be fine with just hay. They just have to work and do that because I don't want to have to individually manage each single doe. What are some quote unquote traits that you expect will have higher weights in your breeding program going forward? Going forward, I do really want to concentrate on the 
strength of the I mean I know we talked about it a little bit but that strength of like the feet and can I get away with less hoof care and minimal I guess more minimal hoof care because it is something I just don't necessarily enjoy doing and if I can get animals that are better on those feet and require longer or allow you to have longer periods of time between hoof trims that's ideal I don't I I don't know what else maybe what do you have and then maybe I'll jump back in with something else. well I've got two things um one is you know obviously I'm trying to shorten those ears and it'll come with time I'm not too crazy worried about it like I've got bucks from the same herd that have the 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 correct ear shape and and size so that'll come uh but one thing that I've been really focusing on but not at the same time if that makes sense is color so Oberhasli are a color breed and with that you know most of us Oberhasli breeders want a dark dark red uh color to them uh brown try to stay away from the light coloring as much as possible well i have a couple animals in my herd uh that are a little bit lighter than i'd like maybe lighter than others would like as well especially if they clip off weird like one did this year but it's not a huge focus for me right now because i'm focusing on everything else i'm focusing on wide rumps long rumps level rumps i'm working on front end assemblies i'm working on this and that udders you know i want uh, longer fore udders i want more rear udder extension like i want i I just want it all right Mm -hmm. so if i can just have animals that are within the breed standard maybe a little touch light but still within standard that's fine by me but eventually i'm gonna have to just for what i like i'm gonna have to darken them up by bringing in something that you know breeds or has progeny that are super darker that still can have everything else that I'm looking for. But right now it's not a huge focus, but down the road it will be. No, that makes a lot of sense. So I think, does that does that cover everything on, on your list there that you got? I think pretty much covers it. And obviously there are so many more things that we may not consider that somebody else may consider. I mean, you think about the South East and the parasite resistance that, they have there and what you need in terms of your herd health for that and or color I mean I know we talked about you've talked about it a little bit but people talk about oh my god I'm blinking on uh you know moon spots no not moon spots everybody wants moon spots John don't you know that (laughs) um No, but making sure that maybe you're in an area where you can't have really white goats because of the sun, because of the susceptibility to cancer, cancer, and I'm blanking on the type of cancer, but Uh, yeah, some kind of sarcoma. Yeah. And so those things maybe play into your herd more or you know that you have a susceptibility to a lot of wet area so you need to have animals that are more resistant to like hoof rot issues or you're in the heat and you need animals that are going to milk even when it's 115 degrees and crazy humidity and so you need animals that'll adapt to the temperatures you put out but still 
are productive and efficient. And so everybody has these different things. I mean, it's just how as breeders, yes, we focus on the confirmation of the animal and the amounts of milk, but in order to make all of those pieces function, there's the, all this other stuff that we kind of started to touch on, at least what was in our breeding programs that make our animals successful when they enter the ring, when they're getting appraised, when they're being milked. Yep. That's a great way to wrap that up. That was excellent oh, and a great you. topic. I'm glad you thought of it. Oh, thank you so much. I'm sure we're missing something. So everybody listening, if you can go ahead and on the post for this episode, write in some stuff that you call for, some things that you are focusing on that don't necessarily pertain to the scorecard. We'd love to hear it. And Danielle, if people wanted to find us on the old interwebs, where can they do that? Well, John, they can find us at dairygoatpodcast.com. We are on Facebook if you search Ringside and American Dairy Goat Podcast. We are on Instagram at Ringside Podcast. And we are on TikTok as well by searching Ringside Podcast. You can listen to us every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a rating and review, subscribe. All of that helps us. Yes, yes, yes. Well, everybody, this has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. And hey, just because it's a slow season doesn't mean you have to stir up all the drama on the social medias. We'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.